so everybody got a study sheet and we're going to the rounds of that. Um, so the title of this message this morning is going to be Fighting for Your Intimacy. Um, so I did a series like this, uh, very similar to this, two years ago for the Singles Retreat. Um, so this is kind of an abridged version of it, but just something that God was laying on my heart the week leading up to today. Um, just because of the importance of it and how, even more so through just a lot of the sexual perversions and the things that we see in the world today. Um, really understanding the heart behind a lot of that and really what Satan is after. Um, it's not about trying to uh, make people more perverted, although it is. It's not about trying to ruin marriages, although it is. There's a main goal that he has on the other side of that, and that's kind of what we're going to look at this morning. Um, so again, fighting for your intimacy, and in that intimacy is between you um, and your Heavenly Father. So by way of introduction, the act of being vulnerable or intimate with God is often something that is unattained in the daily lives of most Christians. And it really is. It's something that's misunderstood. A lot of times we can look at our relationship with Jesus Christ as very surface level. Understanding the Bible, knowing what to do, going out and doing it, and then that's really it. Intimacy is a whole other level, a whole uh, a, a deeper level that a lot of times a lot of Christians never taste their entire life. Um, so I want you guys to really consider the things we're going to look at. We live in a world that makes it extremely uncomfortable to be personal genuine and vulnerable with each other how much more difficult is it going is it for us to display those emotions to someone we can't see satan works diligently to keep us in a state of defeat and self-pity in an attempt to thwart a thriving relationship with our lord and savior the result of his victory is the lack of victories in our own lives how real is god to you how much of your heart belongs to him what does he take a back seat to in your life and the answer to these questions will paint a pretty good picture of who is getting victory in your life. So as we look at these things and questions start coming out, start thinking about your life and answering those as we go. Because it's going to allow you to be honest with yourself so then when the word is preached, when you're here in the Bible, God can work a little bit deeper because you're already starting to break up that ground. So before we get into this intimacy, I want you guys to understand a word and that's resolve. Um, I would, I don't know, I was going to say, what do you guys think resolve means with well, the definitions on your sheet? So that would be kind of dumb. Uh, but resolve means to break down a compound substance into separate parts, to reduce it to simple, simple parts. So basically to take something um, very complicated and break it down to, to simple things. You know, and I, I heard a quote, I think it's Corey Tim Boom, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. If, God, if Satan can't make you sinful, he'll make you busy. He'll try and make your life very complex, very busy with a lot of things going on. Flip over to Hebrews chapter 5. I want you to understand this concept of resolve and how really it's the bedrock of having an intimate relationship with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5. It's not on your study sheet if you guys want to write it down. Yep, no, Hebrews 5. something I read last minute that I wanted to include. Can I have somebody read verse 14? Emily. Okay, so your life becomes complex. There's a lot going on. A lot's getting thrown at you. God's trying to get your heart. Satan's trying to get your heart. You have good, you have evil. A mature walk with Jesus Christ is able to discern between the good and the evil. It's able to look at the 
the mess of their life or everything, all the details going on in their life and basically compartmentalize and take, okay, this is the good, this is what I need to focus on, this is the bad, this has got to go. Your life is in a constant state of doing that, of discerning the good and the bad, good and the bad. There's a verse in Romans that talks about, um, you know, our conscience bearing witness and the thoughts that meanwhile accusing or else excusing. You know, you accuse it, you're like, no, that's wrong, I'm not going to do that. You know, and that requires discernment or excusing. You know, I think of, oh, excuse me, and you let it through. You let it manifest itself in your life. That takes great maturity. Again, the context of that verse in Hebrews 5.14 is strong meat. You're able to look at things in your life and resolve them and break them down and be like, this needs to stay, this needs to go. Requires great maturity and humility because a lot of times the things we can discern and know that it's evil, but a lot of times we want to hold on to it. So this morning, I want you guys to think in your life and be able to discern and resolve down those things in your life that are very difficult. Just your life as a whole and think, okay, what needs to stay and what needs to go for me to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Agendas aside, subjectivity aside, at its core, what is good, what is evil? If you have a mature walk with Jesus Christ, it would be very easy to identify those things and give him your heart. You know, and a great example that you guys will see later down in your life is coming to a resolve in a marriage. You know, it's getting rid of all the theatrics, all the emotions, all the meaningless deal, details, and getting to the heart of the issue. Getting rid of all the, well, she said it like this, or he said this, or, um, well, they did this, they looked at me like this, well, you don't know about this. Getting rid of all those details that make a situation messy and say, okay, what is really the real issue here? You know, we might be talking about an opinion that we're really passionate about. And all of a sudden, it starts off as just a little conversation. And then before you know it, 10, 15 minutes, an hour down the road, we're all the way over here. And we've lost complete sight of the resolve that God was trying to establish here. Because conflict is a good thing. It can turn into a horrible thing. But God uses conflict to bring up issues in your life so that you can deal with them. He uses conflict to reveal the weeds so you can rip them out. But too often, we let that conflict build bitterness we let it build anger and hatred and then we're all fighting a battle that has nothing to do with the root cause and we never deal with it you know in those moments when we're way over there we have to resolve the argument we have to take a step back look at the whole situation like okay why are we even talking about these things we have to remember why we're here we have to remember what our purpose is a lot of times when it gets really heated we have to remember why we're even married there's so much more than just making ourselves feel good in this earth. There's, such, there's so much more that God wants to accomplish in your life. And Satan will try and make you, you guys can write down 2 Thessalonians 3.11. It talks about working not at all, but being busybodies. He wants to keep you busy. He wants to keep you so involved with not necessarily bad things, but things that cloud your judgment. 2 Thessalonians 3.11. But he wants to keep you so busy and so distracted that you miss the heart of the issue. But it's the same thing in a marriage, though. We have to resolve. We have to take this complex argument, this complex conflict, and resolve it down to its simple parts. Okay, what is the heart of this issue? Are we married? Yes. Do we want to have a successful marriage? Yes. Do we love each other? Yes. All right, well, let's figure out what's going on and deal with it. All right, I was wrong here. You were wrong here. What does God want us to do? And then we deal with it. But, man, when agendas and emotions get in, you can get so, that's not right. That's unfair. You're not going to have a successful marriage when you go into it like that. And you're definitely not going to have a successful walk with the Lord. And until you follow that prescription of resolving 
your life, resolving an argument, resolving, being able to break down a seemingly complex situation into the heart of it, it's going to be impossible for you to be intimate with Jesus Christ. Because you're going to be constantly burdened. You're going to be constantly bogged down with all the mess and the details. You're going to spend your whole life basically punching at air the vanities of this life. Then you're going to stand before God and be like, man, I was trying. He's like, all you had to do was change your perspective. Just change how you're looking at things. So your first point, you will be defeated if you lack intimacy. You will absolutely be defeated. And your first bullet point, bringing pleasure to God. So that intimacy Bringing pleasure to God. Flip over to Joshua 5. Joshua chapter 5. You see, in a marriage, we have to restore fellowship when those things happen. And same thing with a kid. You know, my kids wrong me or they sin. We have to restore fellowship with them. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. And what's the big R word that... We do between us and God when we have broken that fellowship. Repentance. What'd you say? Repent. Oh, okay. I don't know. It sounded like a German word or something. I don't know. You always have those weird answers, Carson. But repent. We have to restore that fellowship. All right, so bringing pleasure to God. So Joshua chapter 5. So some of the context of Joshua. Um, They've been wandering the wilderness for 40 years. They finally get out of it. All right, and the nation of Israel, they have um, a reputation. They haven't fought a battle yet, but the people around them, as we'll see, know how powerful their God is. All right, so let's look in verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted Neither was, there in, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. They were very, very fearful. They had high respect for the nation of Israel because of what happened. And then verse 2, At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, after that context of verse 1, knowing their reputation, knowing how successful they've been, look at what God says to Joshua. Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Just seems odd. Isn't that weird? They come out and they have this reputation. And, and I think when I read verse 1, I thought of 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand, take heed lest he fall. Nation of Israel comes out and they have this reputation around them. The God, he parts the waters of the Jordan. They get across and everybody knows about it. God's going to come into your life when you have victories, when you have these triumphs, when you have these great successes, and he's going to humble you. He's going to allow you to take heed sometimes, even when you don't realize that you need to because he's very gracious and he's very merciful because he doesn't want you to fall. Sometimes you got to learn the hard way. The nation of Israel, he comes in and he humiliates them. I mean, think about it. They come out and he's like, you know what? Make knives. I want them to drop their drawers and we're going to shave off their foreskin. It's a weird thing going on. And there's a picture there. Not that picture. Don't think of that picture. But there's a spiritual picture going on there. But he humiliates them. I mean, think about the level of intimacy there. God wants nothing hidden from him. You know, and in this world, Satan does a good job of perverting all that. He perverts, you know, sex. He perverts intimacy. He perverts being just authentic. Says it's, you know, if you're a man, you you come off very um, fruity is a word. You know, just all these things that, that God, 
gave inside of us as raw, natural, real emotions to show how he feels with us. He perverts. So then you read something like that, and you know, you'll chuckle, you'll think it's weird, but really look at the heart of the matter. God's like, I want nothing between us. For you to have victory, for you to be successful, there can't be anything between us. You need to be completely intimate with me. You need to be completely open with me. Revelation 4.11, let's head over there quick. I just always thought that was interesting. Before the nation of Israel went and had really any battles yet, after they came out of the wilderness, God's like, you know what, we need to circumcise them. We need to humble them. We need to show them who's in control. We need to show them what it looks like to be intimate. Revelation 4, and then can I have somebody read verse 11? Ethan. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. It's really what it all boils down to. We know that verse. It's very simple to understand, but that's our simple purpose, to bring God pleasure in every facet of our lives. We are created for his pleasure. We're not created to have a successful career. We're not created to marry a specific person. We're not created to be a humanitarian. We're not created to have a family. We're not created to serve in church. All of those things play a part. They're all good things, but that is not our sole purpose to be on this earth. If you're living for any single one of those things, you will fail. God wants to be, you know, all those things that we talked about. So you got your family, spouse, career, uh, sports, um, service, whatever you're doing. I know you guys have seen this before. God wants pleasure in all of this. He wants to touch every part of your life. He wants to be a part of everything that you're involved in. We're not created for this, 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 and this. We're created for this to touch all of this. To bring him pleasure in everything that we're doing. If God's not getting pleasure in your life in a certain aspect, it doesn't mean it has to go. It might. But it might just need, mean he needs more access into that part of your life. He needs, you need to be more open with him in that part of your life. They all play a part, but you need to ask yourself, is God receiving pleasure in blank? Is God receiving glory in blank? And by pleasure, it means he has control. He's dictating what you do in those instances. You know, I, I shared with you guys a couple weeks ago what I was doing at work with my work signature. This is pretty cool. So I put on there, um, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, set it as my automatic reply. So everybody that emailed me over the weekend was getting, bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, bought by the blood of people outside of my work, vendors I deal with, they're all getting this signature. Well, somebody I work with is a professing Christian. Um, I would say that she's a believer, but just not very strong at all. Um, but she noticed it and we have this recognition program in Cargill that you can submit. It's called the diamond crystal award. Our brand's diamond crystal. Um, so she's like, Hey, would you mind if I submit that as showing how far we've come as a plant in inclusion and diversity? And I'm like, man, talk about taking something that Satan has used to pervert and push his nat nasty agenda and gosh, to take that and say, look, we've come this far that we can talk about Jesus Christ. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I don't know what's going to come of it, but the whole point is it's getting noticed in a positive light. I'm sure there's going to come some persecution from it. But again, it's allowing God to get glory in my career. 
little things like that that I'm, I'm taking a stance and I'm saying, okay, Satan seems to be winning here. I want to put in a plug for Jesus Christ. And man, if, if it goes even further, you know, it can be a whole distribution email throughout the entire global company of cargo, which is 150,000 people. So I don't know what God's going to do with it, but the whole point is I wanted, I was feeling convicted about my work and feeling defeated. And I'm like, you know what, God, you got to get, you got to get glory in this area of my life. You don't touch enough of my career. And then that's when he brought that up. What is something in your life that God's like, you know what, I'm not getting pleasure in it. And quite frankly, I deserve it. And again, it's not Calvinism where he's going to come in and force himself to get pleasure in that. He wants you to love him enough to do it on your own. Deuteronomy, we're not going to turn there, 4 verses 7 through 9. says, For what nation is there so great, this is one of them in there, who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? And I forget how nigh God is unto me daily. And I let things go undealt with. I let things go unresolved constantly. Becoming vulnerable with God requires quick resolution, quick resolve, quick, what is it? Repentance and deep conversation. Complete openness. Because again, as we know, this is not a religion. It's a relationship that we have. Do you view it like that? You know, I did an illustration. I was thinking about it this morning. I just ran out of time. Um, I had a, like a clear cylinder glass thing filled with salt because I work at a salt plant. And I had a big rock, and rock, the rock represented God. So I took that rock, filled the thing up with salt, and we had about this much left at the top. And I tried shoving the rock, and I'm like, it's not going to fit, is it? And I'm like, what a picture of our life. We fill our life with all this stuff, not necessarily bad stuff, but we fill it, fill it, fill it, fill it. Then we go and we try and fit God in after the fact, and it just doesn't work. God gets maybe an inch of our life, maybe a little bit here, a little bit there. And then what I did was I took that container, dumped all the salt out, same amount of salt, took the rock, put it in the container first, then took the salt and dumped it in. What do you know? It all fit perfectly. God might not want you to remove anything from your life. He just wants to be in the center of it all. It won't work when you put everything before God and you try and fit God in after the fact. Put God in and then surround him with what you're doing. Let him touch everything and decide, yeah, this is good. Or no, this needs to go. Let him call the shots. All right, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at the second bullet point, bringing pleasure to your spouse. So bringing pleasure to God, at the end of the day, that is your sole purpose. And we do that through many different things. But is God touching every aspect of your life? Now I want to look at bringing pleasure to your spouse. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 27. All right, so God created man, obviously going through the days of creations, creation. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now look at chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. So their command, be fruitful, be mul multiply, replenish the earth. Verse 24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. 
And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So Adam and Eve, their first command that they were given as a couple, reproduce, be fruitful, be multiply, and they were naked and not ashamed. You know, it really doesn't get more intimate than that in a marriage. I mean, really, look at it at, as the, uh, just at surface level, that, that, that's it right there. But what happens, and we know the story with Adam and Eve, what happens when sin enters into that relationship? What happens when sin enters any relationship? You know, I got a list on your study sheet. Sin between friends. Think about a friendship right now that you have. I know everybody's got one or two or a couple or a handful, maybe a lot. That sin has entered that relationship, maybe between you two, or maybe between the other party and they're just not willing to deal with it. How does that relationship, where does the quality of that relationship go? No, there's, there's the fellowship's broken. We've had friends that either there was sin between us with them or sin with them, and it's just not the same sitting down with them. It's not the same having conversations. It changes how you talk to them, changes how open you can be. You start second-guessing what you're saying. You start second-guessing what they're thinking. Trust goes down. The level of intimacy in that relationship kind of goes away. Think about sin between disciples and disciplers. Again, sin of... And just in your life personally or in theirs. That's where the weight is so great when you guys go through senior high discipleship that you guys hold on to those things because God's going to put people that you're entrusted with, junior hires. And then when you graduate senior high, senior hires, you got to get this stuff down now because you're going to be responsible leading somebody towards the Father or, to, or astray. But when sin enters your life in a discipleship relationship, how productive is that relationship going to be? You gonna get anything out of it? You know, I got news for you. When you're when you're battling sin behind the curtain, and then you come through the curtain and you have discipleship relationship and act like everything is good behind the curtain, you might think you're fooling your disciple, you're probably not. You're definitely not fooling God. When that relationship is over, you're probably gonna be a gigantic dud when you graduate high school. You really gotta ask yourself, why are you even doing that if that's what's going on? Why are you even in that relationship? deal with that sin be honest sin between children and their parents it's a tough one again with my children that sin needs dealt with and it's dealt through spanking through deep conversation and we don't leave we don't walk away until it is resolved because there's no fellowship and i want to show my children what it's like between our heavenly father that he is always there waiting for us to make a resolve and sin between spouses we touched on that a little bit earlier, but I'll tell you right now in your blank, intimacy is gone. There's no desire to be vulnerable. If anything, you try to hide from it. You try, you try to avoid it at all costs. And that's exactly where Satan wants you. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. So after they sin, after they eat of the fruit, it says, And the eyes of them were opened, the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Why does it feel like that? Think about it. They sin. There's sin now within their relationship. There's sin between them and God. And what's the first thing they do? There's shame. I mean, you think about it. They're trying to hide themselves from it. They don't want to be intimate together. They can't. There's shame there. Fellowship is broken. And shame is going to stay there until it's dealt with by both parties. Nobody wants to talk about it. Can I get three readers? 
Proverbs 11.2, Proverbs 12.16, 1 Peter 4.8. 1 Peter 4.8 is not on your study sheet if you want to write it on there. But fellowship is broken. You'll do anything to hide yourself from it, and it will destroy marriages. It destroys every other relationship you guys have been a part of. You get tastes, little tastes of it in your friendships and in your relationship with your parents. But I'm telling you, the marriage, it'll destroy a marriage. Satan is just waiting to lead that guy astray with something else. Lead that woman astray with something else. It needs quick, quick resolution. And it's the same thing with your relationship with God. But shame, shame will... Shame will manifest, it's just like bitterness. It'll manifest in, into something that you wouldn't even dream you'd, you would do. Uh, Proverbs 11 2. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom. I love that verse. When pride cometh, when you think, oh, it wasn't that bad. Or I'm not the one that did the wrong there. They're the ones that did me wrong. Or I, I can let that go. Then cometh shame. Because whatever you guys had as a marriage is on the line now. You can't have an intimate relationship. You guys are now shamed together. And I'm telling you, Brandy can attest to it. If there's sin that we have not dealt with and either one of us is prideful, our fellowship is... It just is. Until we talk through it. Until the pride goes away and you become lowly. You become humble. You're like, man, we just need to deal with this. I don't want to waste... We're, we're wasting time. Time is so precious and it shouldn't be wasted on our own pride. Uh, Proverbs twelve sixteen. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covers shame. I love that. A prudent man covereth shame. You know what? A prudent man, he knows how to deal with it. He's willing to have those tough conversations. Are you willing to have those hard conversations? If you have a, a friend that you're thinking of right now, are you willing to have those conversations to address the sin that's going on and say, look, we need to deal with this now. You can act like everything is okay and I'm willing to sacrifice our entire relationship right now to deal with this sin. Because at the end of the day, our relationship is going to have no fruit if we don't deal with this. I mean, that's what it comes down to in a marriage. Too often marriages, they want to shove stuff under a rug. That rug's going to get pulled up at some point. You can't just not deal with stuff. Because in the back of your mind, you have a memory. You know it's there. And there's going to be something that comes up five months from now, a year from now, that that rug gets ripped up and it's going to be an absolute explosion. And again, you're going to find yourself in a situation like, man, how did I get here? Deal with it now. And again, it's pictures of our relationship with Jesus. First Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fun charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Yeah, that's like my parenting verse 101. Above all else, have fervent charity. Why? Because charity covereth the multitude of sins. When you can look at a situation, you're like, you know what? I love this person. And the other person can reciprocate even when they don't. You're like, I just need to make this right. It's like the sin goes away. It's like with our kids. Sometimes we'll struggle and think, man, we went off the handle. I typically, I can go off the handle. Brandy, believe it or not, can go off the handle. And we can... Do things with our kids in the wrong way, with the wrong tone, with the wrong anger. Handle it completely wrong. But man, it's like magic when we come back to it with charity. And we're like, we're, we shouldn't have done that. And we handle it the right way. We love them. We talk through them. Man, it's amazing how quick that smile comes back to their face. And they're like, oh, I don't. It's, it's almost like God takes that and removes it from their mind. It's like sin. It casts it as far as east is from the west. 
And boy, isn't it like that with us with Jesus Christ? When, when he looks down on us, he doesn't see a, a sinful creature. He loves us for exactly who we are. And it ought to draw us closer to him. He's the perfect husband. And that's where a lot of these things in a marriage, sometimes she might have a hard time submitting. Sometimes I'm not somebody who's worth submitting to. We have a heavenly father, a heavenly spouse, who is always worth submitting to. But Satan's always been in the business of ruining and perverting intimacy. And he will continue to be until the day you're raptured out of here. Turn to 1 Corinthians 7. For those of you guys that went to Mexico, you got a little preview of this. I'm not going to be as graphic as Phil. Nonetheless, we'll go there. This topic of marriage, though, I'm telling you, it's vitally, vitally important. Get these things down now because it'll change how you date. It'll change who you look at to date. It'll change your standards. Because the picture you paint with a marriage ought to be as close to a picture of your relationship with Jesus Christ as possible. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 4 and 5. The wife hath not power of her own body... But the husband, and likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. They are one. They are each other's. Defraud ye not, verse 5, one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Anybody know what incontinency means? Come on, some brave soul, based on the context. Okay, you're not satisfied, but incontinency in itself. Anybody else want to throw out a guess? The easiest way I can think of describing it is when you're withholding, when you're not being intimate in a marriage, the desire is building. The desire is there. It's It's how God designed you. He designed you to yearn to be with your spouse. It's a beautiful picture of how we ought to yearn to be with our heavenly spouse. But when you go and you defraud and you're not and you're not and you're not, it's like taking a bottle of pop and shaking it up. Incontinency is unrestrained indulgence. Basically like taking the top off and you can't contain yourself. You're going and finding fulfillment somewhere else. God is that perfect spouse who is always there. Think about it in a marriage. And again, don't chuckle, but you can. In a marriage, 99% of the time, the man's always ready for intimacy. 2 a.m., a man's getting a call in a marriage. He's like, yeah, I'll show up within a marriage. It's the same thing with God. God is always waiting for his bride to be intimate with him. There's no coincidence why God created man, men the way that he did and women the way that, they, that he did. It's a whole different ballgame with women. Men, they're typically always waiting to be intimate with their wife. God is always waiting to be intimate with his bride. You know, and there's other contexts, we're not going to go through it in detail, but in 18, you know, talking about fleeing fornication. That sin that you can justify because, well, I'm going to marry the person or we're going to be together, you're still ruining the picture. Don't fool yourself thinking that you can get away with it now just because you're going to marry that person. You're still robbing yourself of what God has waiting for you in marriage. But look in verse 19 of chapter 6. Says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, or your inner thoughts, your man, which are God's. 
God owns your body. Let me say that again. God owns your body. Everything about you, everything that you have the ability to do, God bought the second you called out to him for salvation. He owns it. He has every right to own it. And he deserves it. You can't bring pleasure to God when you're too busy bringing pleasure to yourself. And again, we're talking about intimacy and sex here, but it's a picture of just fornicating with the world. What are you allowing to bring pleasure to yourself that you're not going to God to bring you pleasure? I mean, think about it. In a marriage, one of the most gut-wrenching things that could happen to a spouse is if the other spouse goes and commits adultery. Because they went out and they found something to bring them pleasure because their husband wasn't good enough. Or because their husband was, but they were involved in sin. Or whatever, whatever happened, they went out and they wanted to find pleasure elsewhere outside of their spouse. What are you doing that with God? Because I got news for you. God has the ability and, quite frankly, the power to bring you pleasure in everything that you need. It's when you pervert that you start looking at yourself selfishly because he's not going to bring you pleasure in sin. And you're going to run down a hellish rabbit trail trying to find pleasure doing that stuff. Don't run out on your heavenly spouse. You also can't be vulnerable with God when you're being vulnerable with the world. It won't work. And there's dire, irreversible consequences for living that way. You're not, again, I feel like we're hammering a marriage, but there's a picture that God paints within a marriage that's so precious. You know, my relationship with Brandy, I feel like, is usually a good picture of how my relationship is with Jesus Christ in that moment. And I'll give you some examples. You know, is she being stubborn with me? Yes, Brandy has the ability to be stubborn then I'm probably being disobedient to God in some fashion, somewhere. Is she being quiet with me? Is she not really responding to me? I'm probably not praying a lot with God. Is she being distant from me? There's just not a lot of connection. I've probably walked away from God in some aspect of my life. Is she intimate with me? Not just sexually. I mean intimately like in conversation, talking about deep issues of the heart. Well, I'm probably not being intimate with my Lord and Savior. And I say that to you because you guys are sitting here and you're like, well, I'm not married, so how does this apply to me? You get that relationship down now with Jesus Christ, your marriage is going to be awesome. If you don't, your marriage is going to be horrible because God is going to be continually bringing these things to your attention, trying to show you your gaps with him. And you might look at that and say, well, that's just, that's mean. I just want a nice, quiet marriage. God wants way more for your life than just a quiet marriage. Get these things down now. Have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ now. So when you get into your marriage, God can use your marriage to proclaim the good that you have. Don't make him use your marriage to show the bad, to work out the bad, because it will come out. And, and I got news for you. She's not always the bad. My self-examination is, am I being the husband that she wants to willingly submit to? There's a two-way street there. There's always an examination going on in my heart. There's always an examination going on in her heart. And it ought to be the same thing between you and Jesus Christ. Marriage is a beautiful picture of what our intimacy with the Lord is supposed to be like. But it can also be a travesty and the sad reality of our lack of intimacy with the Lord. So work on your intimacy with the Lord now. And that's where we see our final point. Satan's target, your intimacy with God. At the end of the day, the heart behind... Everything he's trying to attack, everything that he's trying to 
come, come against in your life, all those are just variables. The heart of it is he's trying to attack your intimacy with God. So your first bullet point, the results of shame. Look back in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to end in the Old Testament. So, You know, we looked at chapter 3, verse 7, which was them trying to cover themselves. Intimacy between Adam and Eve was ruined because of that sin. But look at the heart of the matter. Look at what Satan was actually after. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. You see, that's what Satan was after. Satan was after separating that intimacy, breaking that fellowship between them and their heavenly father. And in your life, it's the same exact way. It's the same exact thing. He's coming at you that you might think he's attacking a specific part of your life. No, he's just trying to insert sin to come between you and God. For them, it happened to be their marriage. For you, what sin is it? Because if that sin's not resolved, your fellowship with God is going to be broken until it is. Until you have an open, honest, intimate conversation with the Lord. We have two examples. We're not going to turn there. And Luke, so you had Peter who denied Christ three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly in Luke chapter 22. Fellowship was lost between him and Jesus Christ for a season. He ended up repenting. He ended up having an awesome exchange with Jesus. And then he goes on to have uh, quite the impactful life and ends up getting crucified upside down all in the name of Jesus Christ. Awesome, awesome response to his sin. Then in Matthew 27, you have Judas who got caught for his sin. Judas went out and he hanged himself. Fellowship was lost for all of eternity. You see, godly sorrow in 2 Corinthians 7, 9, and 10. We're not going to go there. Godly sorrow worketh what? Say it loud, Noah. You were right. Repentance and sorrow of the world worketh what? Bringeth what? Even more than that, death. What a picture of that. Your shame is ultimately going to bring you death. Your sin, your guilt is ultimately going to bring death, separation. How do you respond to your sin? Do you allow yourself to live in a guilt-riddled, woe is me, self-pity? Or do you man up, gird your loins, and deal with it? Because you will not grow until you deal with it. You will not have a relationship, a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ until you deal with it. And that's what Satan's after. He wants to destroy your intimacy with God. And then your last bullet point, God deserves and desires your intimacy. For time's sake, we're not going to turn there, but I encourage you guys, read verse Deuteronomy chapter 32 and see the heart of God. He becomes very jealous over the nation of Israel for how fat they've become and how just, it says that they're like a fat baby that just sits there and kicks. And they're never, they're, they're not satisfied and it breaks God's heart and he has to come in and he has to break that nation. You know, and I can't fully wrap my mind around God becoming jealous over us. It's very humbling. Then God gave me a kid, and it changed my whole perspective on how I look at my relationship. And I know you guys can't fully understand that, but think about it with your parents. A lot of us, we even touched on this at church camp, we want nothing more than to please our parents. We want to make our parents happy. How would it make you feel if your parents were out getting 
pleasure getting fulfilled by another kid break your heart wouldn't it it ticked me off I'd be like I'm gonna kill that kid it's the same thing with God God wants pleasure from us God wants to be enough for us you'll put on a good show one of your last points down there through this high school ministry without intimacy but that's all it will be quit trying to fool yourself be honest and as the nation of Israel did allow God to circumcise your heart Jeremiah 4 4 on your sheet circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart is your blank ye men of Judah and inhabitants of, of Jerusalem lest my fury come forth like fire and burn that none can quench it because of the evil of your doings if you're involved in something that God needs to come in and circumcise your heart so that he can be intimate with you, don't say he didn't warn you when destruction comes. If you didn't hear anything else, that's your warning. Deal with it. Allow God to come in and circumcise your heart by the reading of his word, by the humbling of your heart, by saying no to that sin and dealing with it, whatever it is. It'll set you up for success It'll make you have a thriving marriage down the line. You guys are making decisions now that are going to have a lasting impact 5, 10, 15 years down the road. Do the work now so that you don't have to bring a spouse into your dirty work. Deal with it now. And then they have victory. And again, we're not going to turn there, but in Joshua 5, 15 through chapter 6, verse 2, it shows that God comes down and he speaks to Joshua. And then they go out in chapter 6 and they have the victory with Jericho. What victories are you limiting God in your life because you refuse to be intimate with him? You might not even realize you're refusing to be intimate, but by you not dealing with your sin, there can't be fellowship there. And if it helps, continually think about your relationship with your parents or with your friends or with your discipler. If they wronged you, you've got to talk about it. You've got to work through it. That relationship is going to be broken. That fellowship is going to be broken until it's dealt with. Why would it be any different with our Heavenly Father? All right, let's pray. Father, reading these verses, it makes me really appreciate um, your love for us, and it reminds me of instances in my life, Lord, where fellowship was broken, and I let it go way too long. Father, And I'm sorry for the fornication I've committed with this world in multiple instances and, and continue to struggle with, Lord. Satan's always attacking our intimacy with you, Father. Pray that you would come first in our life, that everything else would just surround you, and we would give you full control to decide what stays and what goes. God, you saved us from an eternity in hell. You deserve our mind. You deserve our body. You deserve everything about us. So, Lord, I pray this morning that for some students in here, Lord, that it would mark uh, the moment that they commit themselves to you with a more intimate relationship they would have deeper conversations with you that they would resolve sin that they've left undealt with so that they can understand more of your heart and have more of a thriving relationship with you more of an impact in this world so again we pray for the uh, the sunday morning message lord with pastor tom that you would just continue uh, the work that you started in here this morning lord and just uh, build off of the truths that you've established rather this in jesus name amen